It's amazing how easily we as people get really attached to things, and when we get really attached to things, get really defensive about things. I mean, I have three kids. I don't know if you've ever been around kids where an older one builds something out of blocks and the younger one thinks, well, because it's built, I must destroy it. And how quickly does the one who built it get angry and full of all kinds of frustration and wrath? How dare you destroy this? Or if you take time, maybe a few days or weeks, to do a puzzle and you're nearly completed and that same younger three-year-old decides now it's time to rip it all to pieces for the second or third time. How easily does something as small as a puzzle make you frustrated and angry? But this happens with bigger things too, like that dream car you've worked for your whole life, you've always hoped for, now you finally have. How much attention to detail do you pay to that car, making sure it's perfectly clean and looks just the way you want, and you're not going to give those keys to just anybody, because let's face it, you know how they drive, and you wouldn't risk that with something you love so dearly. But most of the things we become really attached to that we hold really dear, that we become really defensive about are not the material things in our possessions or things like blocks and puzzles. No, it'd be much deeper and bigger issues. Like imagine a political persuasion of your own and just how near and dear that you hold that to your heart. Whatever that political persuasion be, if somebody believes or thinks or acts differently than you, do you feel the need to defend To justify, here's why what I believe is right. To argue, here's why what you believe is wrong. To prove that you know best. Imagine how unified this country could be if every one of us took our political beliefs a little less seriously. Imagine if for just a moment we did not find our identity in the things we voted for or think we need to vote for but in something altogether different. And if we can take our political stances and our personal opinions and our own persuasions that seriously, how much more seriously do we take things that truly matter? Like matters of faith and God and His character and His nature. How quickly are we to defend the things we believe to be true whether or not we've ever taken time to investigate why we believe them to be true. See, things like blocks and puzzles and cars, we know eventually they will fade and fall apart and it will get destroyed and a piece will get lost. And things like politics, we get really passionate about and we wrap our identity up in it, but we know even those eventually will fall apart. But when it comes to matters of the heart and matters of God, we're really quick to defend at the expense of the other. And far too often, in our defense of the things we believe to be true, we divide and we create barriers that says, unless you're like me here, you can't be with me over here. Unless you think or act or do as I do, you can't be right. As we go through the story of Romans, this letter that Paul writes, Paul is writing to a church that is incredibly divided. See, as I mentioned last week, they're divided in part 
Because most of the Christians in Rome are Jewish Christians who were there in Jerusalem or heard from those who were directly there at the time of Pentecost. And they're Jewish Christians who their whole life have grown up believing in the Old Testament as the truth of God. The revelation that God has chosen them as Jewish people to be His people, that everyone who is not Jewish is outside of that which is true. And in order to be God's people, you have to submit to all of God's law. And they go to Jerusalem and they hear this truth of Jesus, what He has done, that all of their hopes are fulfilled in Him. All of the promises of God have now been made real. Everything is in Jesus, in His death, in His life, in His ascension. And they come back to Rome and they live boldly believing this to be true. Now, we live in a very different day and age, several thousand years removed. It's hard to see the gravity of what's at stake for these Jewish Christians. See, as they believed in Jesus, they believed He was the fulfillment of all of the things they've always longed for, which meant everything we've always held dear, we need now to hold even more dear. Now, part of this became a real problem for the Romans because they were living in Rome. Do you know anything about that city? It was the center of authority of the oppressive regime that was coming upon them and pushing down against God's will because Jewish people believed that when the Messiah came, they would also be set free politically from the one who was oppressing them. Now imagine being in the center of evil in that place where you see the most pressure. Everybody around you is a potential enemy. In fact, one of the leaders had even kicked out Jewish Christians because he thought they were causing too much unrest. And now you're welcome back. How near and dear will you hold the things you believe to be true? This letter was written by a guy named Paul. Maybe you know him as Saul. Saul was one of those men who held to the Old Testament as the truth in such a way that anything that potentially changed or twisted or manipulated that Old Testament into something new was to be thrown out. And so Saul, for a long time, spent his life pursuing Christians. Jewish men and women like himself who believed in the Bible but also in Jesus. And he said, you are wrong. But Jesus met him and changed his life and shared with him this good news that the promises of God in the Old Testament were not just for Jewish people. That the promises of God in the Old Testament were not just for those who honored his law and fulfilled his law. For those who lived by his commands and his rituals and his customs. No, these promises of God were for all people. Everyone, whether they knew God or not. Now for Paul, meeting with Jesus and hearing this from Jesus directly, it's easy to have a change of heart. But imagine for all the Jewish people he's writing to, just how potentially dangerous what Paul has to say may be. Paul intends to say that this good news, this gospel of Jesus is that everybody, Jew and Greek alike, can be forgiven. 
Everyone can not only be forgiven, but included in the family of God. Belong to the very people whom He calls His children. This is a dangerous message. See, where does that slippery slope stop? If we allow all people and all things, if we say that this message is for everybody who doesn't practice like we practice or think like we think or do what we do, if we allow everybody in, what happens when we just begin to look just like all the pagans? See, if you know the Old Testament history, multiple times the Jewish people began to look just like the people around them and in doing so, forgot who their God was. And multiple times, God in His judgment came against them and nearly entirely destroyed them. So for the Jewish people in Rome, surrounded by all this pressure of pagans, all this pressure of those who were outside of the people of God, surrounded by enemies on every side, there's a dangerous message Paul had to share that the good news is not just for Jews, but for every one of us. And so some of the division in Rome was from those who wanted to hold true to the Old Testament in such a way that Jesus was simply in addition to what they already knew. And there were some, like Priscilla and Aquila there in Rome, who, like Paul, recognized that Jesus was not just in addition to all the customs and all the ways and all the things they had held true. He was the answer to all of them. And so as a result, there were some like Paul and Priscilla who were preaching, this good news is for everybody. And you need to stop fighting about the little things and start focusing on the big things. And so Paul, he begins to write a letter to people who, for the most part, don't really want to hear the things he has to say. Have you ever been there? You ever try to share something really important with somebody who doesn't care to hear it? Or something really you believe to be true that they need to hear, but they're so set in the things they believe that they're actually afraid if you might be right, everything they know would fall apart? So Paul, he writes this letter. Last week we looked at his introduction following the standard official introduction of the sender to the addressee and then the greeting and then Today we get into what he has to say. He continues his introduction like this. Romans chapter 1, beginning in verse 8. This is on page 1172. If you'd like to follow along in the blue Bibles or use your phone or your own Bibles. Romans chapter 1, beginning in verse 8. First, I thank my God through Jesus Christ for all of you. Because your faith is proclaimed in all the world. Paul, as he jumps into this writing of all the things that he's about to say that challenge their understanding of how Jesus meets them, he begins with genuine thanksgiving. I want you to know I'm really thankful for you. Now, when we come to challenge people in the things they believe and hold dear, I would beg to say most of us don't begin with thanksgiving. In fact, when the people we think we need to challenge are perhaps critics of us, opponents of us coming against the very thing we're saying, we all the more aren't thankful for what they have to say. Instead, we jump right in most often with, here's why you're wrong. 
Paul, he begins this introductory letter to say, I am thankful for your faith. The things you believe are good for us to hold dear. In fact, he continues, he goes even a little further. He says, for God is my witness, whom I serve with my spirit in the gospel of his son, that without ceasing, I mention you always in my prayers, asking that somehow by God's will, I may now at last succeed in coming to you. Paul begins with gratitude. I am so thankful for the faith that you have. I thank God in my prayers every time I think of you for the things you are doing and believing and holding true. Is that our approach to those we disagree with? Just off the bat, how much unity is professed when you're thankful for the very people who criticize you? If we want to be a people of unity, a people who are walking together in the way of the Lord, maybe we need to begin by seeking Him in prayer on behalf of those that we disagree with, that we find we're at odds with, thanking God for what He has already done in them. Paul, he says, For I long to see you, that I may impart to you some spiritual gift to strengthen you. That is, that we may be mutually encouraged by each other's faith, both yours and mine. I love how Paul approaches the subject he has at hand. In fact, in the chapters to follow, what we're going to see Paul write about is all of God's righteous wrath and righteous judgment and all of the law of the Old Testament, how everything they hold true to believe about following these commandments and these customs only reveals to us our desperate need for Jesus, that we cannot by our own merit ever do what is right before God. And the things Paul has to say to challenge their notion that we have to continue to abide by a certain code of conduct and live a certain way in order to please God. The things he has to say are a direct affront to the very core of their faith. And yet he begins, I am so thankful for you and I hope to come that I can offer you a spiritual gift that you and I can be mutually encouraged. See, I think many times when we find ourselves at odds with people, we don't set out to be mutually encouraged. We set out to convince them we're right. Paul from the get-go says, if you want unity in the church, you have to see the gifts one another brings. You have to see the value the other person has and their perspective and their thoughts and the things they hold dear. You have to see that this is us together, not me against you. I hope to come that I may impart some spiritual gift. As he unpacks this a little more, this very spiritual gift he's offering to them is this good news that Jesus does not require you and me to get it all right. Jesus is not expecting us to follow the customs and the laws and the commandments perfectly. He's not asking you of your own accord to be anything other than who you already are. A sinner. Now, oftentimes when it comes to the gathering together on Sunday mornings, if I have a conversation with somebody about what's the purpose of our gathering, most of the time it comes around at some level to the conversation about, well, we come to offer our praise to God. 
We come to serve Him. We come to worship Him. We come even to give our tithes and our finances to trust in Him with all things. And more often than not, the gathering together is viewed as us coming to give to God what He deserves. But, you know, there's actually a truth in Scripture that I think is the very opposite. Our gathering together has very little to do with us worshiping or praising or giving our money to God. Our gathering together mostly has us giving to God the one thing He doesn't have in Himself. All of our sin. See, if you want to give something unique and special to God, you can give Him all the praise and worship you want. But you know, even the rocks will cry out and sing His praises. All of creation will declare His glory. So when you sing His praise, that's not really offering anything He doesn't already have. When you give your finances, that's not really giving anything He doesn't already have. God doesn't need your money or mine. But when you give your sin to Him, your brokenness, all of that stuff that is not okay, that's what brings Him glory. See, it's in that sinfulness of you and me that He shines brightly. Not when we're all put together, not when we have all the answers, not when life is going perfectly, when we are broken and humble before Him. God, I can't, but you can. And Paul desires to impart this spiritual gift to the people. That it's not about what they bring to God, but about what He has brought to them. His very Son for their forgiveness, that they may have life everlasting, not some futuristic get-out-of-hell-free card, that here and now and all of their mess and all of the things that are not okay and every time they fail and every time they fall and every time they once again stumble, he continues to say, it is finished. I am enough. And this spiritual gift he has to offer is this good news that you're never too far gone for a God who loves you. He continues, I do not want you to be unaware, brothers, that I have often intended to come to you, but thus far have been prevented, in order that I might reap some harvest among you as well as among the rest of the Gentiles. And here Paul begins to deliver that nail to drive home that point that is the dividing thing for many of them. Look, I come to share with you this good news and to reap some harvest and also among the Gentiles. See, we live in an age where Gentile doesn't really mean much to us because I would beg to, to guess that out of 100 of us in this room, probably 99 of us have no Jewish background. Like, Almost all of us are Gentile in this room, and so believing in Jesus as a Gentile seems commonplace. Well, of course, as a non-Jewish person, God still loves me. But for those who are following the Old Testament fully, at times it was hard to see that. Now, when we look through Jesus back at the Old Testament, we see all throughout, even in the call of Abraham, God is constantly saying that this blessing for one group of people was for all nations and all people. But it's easy to get caught up in believing that these gifts of God, these promises of God are for me and my people only. In fact, we easily do this today. 
Imagine if instead of saying that Paul is coming to preach to the rest of the Gentiles, imagine instead if he said something maybe a little more offensive to you and me, Paul is coming to preach to those who are super liberal and don't agree with your conservative views. Or what if he said to those who are far right and on the extreme and you think are borderline not loving their neighbor enough to even be considered Christian, Jesus is coming or Paul is coming to preach to them because they also belong in the family of God. Or what if Paul wrote that he was coming to preach to those sinners out there, those who were the worst of the worst, you know who comes to mind right now, And what if Paul said they belong in here just as you do? He writes this letter to challenge them and to impart to them this good news. That the gospel of Jesus is not only for those who have it all put together. It's not only for a certain group of people who live by a certain way and get it right. The gospel of Jesus is for all. In fact, he goes on to say in verse 14, I am under obligation. Similar to the word he began with, Paul, a slave of Christ Jesus, in verse 1, now he says, I am under obligation both to Greeks and to barbarians. See, in that day and age, the Greeks were those who were cultured who kind of had a way about them, who made sense and understood wise and and wonderful things, who looked for the beauty in art and theater. The Greeks were those who believed in the right, true thing. And the barbarians were those who were uncultured swine on the outskirts of town, the ones you really tried to avoid and would really do everything you could to not be around. Well, he says, look, I am under obligation to both the Greek and the barbarian, both to the wise and the foolish, those whose faith makes sense to them or who live in such a way that the world sees them as great and godly, those who are totally foolish and the things they do don't make any sense. He says, to all of these people, I am under obligation See, this message Paul has to share in this letter of Romans, I think it can be a great source of encouragement for you and me in many ways. But he begins with this challenge and encouragement. He is under obligation to those who do not know God, who are disconnected and far from Him, who are lost and who are wandering, who aren't quite sure which way is the right way and what to do today about it. For those who feel like God is just not with them or for them. Or to those who feel that God is against them and maybe turned His back on them. Paul says, I am under obligation to these people. So I am eager to preach the gospel to you also who in Rome, who are in Rome. Paul, he begins this letter with both encouragement. I come to offer to you something great and also to receive from you something wonderful. But I want you to know what I come to offer. It's not just for Jewish people. It's not just for those who are holy and have their lives put together. It's not just for those who really know the truth and are walking in it. It's for all people. 
Greek and barbarian, wise and foolish, even those of you in Rome. And I just kind of wonder if some of that last sentence is a little bit tongue-in-cheek. If Paul is writing, it's like, look, I come to share this good news with those who are far from God and those who look nothing like God and those who are wise and foolish, and oh, and also to you. And I wonder if there's a measure there in it where Paul is writing and he's like, look, you are just the same as all of these outsiders. Sinners desperately in need of grace. So let's not put on a good face and act like we're any better or any different or any more righteous on our own. In fact, the next two verses that we're going to spend a lot of time in next week are the very thrust of the thing he's saying, the crux of all of his message, that it's all about the righteousness of God and not your righteousness, not what you have done or what you believe or what is dear and near to your heart. It's what is dear and near to God's heart. And the thing that is most dear and near to him is that all who are lost would be found. That all who are disconnected and removed from his love by their own choice or their own confusion or by their false lies preached by others, that all who for whatever reason are not with him would come to know of his unending love and his unending grace. And in this letter to follow, Paul unpacks this by walking through the Old Testament and the things these Jewish people held true and by pointing them in each case to Jesus, not just for the Jews, but for all people. And so as we end today, I want to ask, who in your life has for some reason felt other than you? Maybe they don't belong with you or you think they certainly don't belong in this church or it's hard to have a conversation with them because you listen to the things they spout and you're like, you're just an idiot, foolish as all of them can be. Maybe you and me like Paul need to see ourselves under obligation to those who are disconnected and far from God. It's not their job to come to us. It's our job in all things with grace and peace and love and truth to seek them out with this good news that just as they are, God loves them. And just as they are, God says, you are enough. And he invites them into the fullness of his love and his grace and his peace that through his son, they too can be made new. Who are you obligated to? that you need to share this good news with. Will you pray with me? God, we thank you that Paul was not afraid of those who criticized him. He was not afraid of those who found this gospel that was free of the law challenging. He did not back down from speaking the truth in love. And God, we thank you that he saw himself under obligation to all who were cultured and uncultured, who were wise and were foolish, who believed like him and who did not. We thank you that he saw in everyone, even those he came to correct and challenge, God, he saw something to be offered that was good. May we be a people who seek the good in others 
who spend less time trying to be right and more time trying to love rightly. God, may we be a people obligated to go to those who are disconnected, to show to them your grace and your peace and to invite them just as they are into all of your love and your forgiveness. Lord, we pray today as you taught us to pray. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen. As we continue our worship this morning, we continue by collecting an offering. A few weeks ago, I shared with you this opportunity that is before myself and Melissa Foster to go to California for a few days and to spend a year long in this community learning together how we help people grow from where they are into the people God made them to be. And I said that this opportunity came unexpectedly. It was a personal invite for us to participate in this. And to do this will cost us about $5,000 that we initially had not budgeted for in our church budget for the year. And so I asked if there's anybody who saw value in us learning how to help you grow more in your faith day in and day out. And asked if you see that value, if you would contribute to helping us do just that, to learn how to serve you best. I'm grateful to say that several of you have said, yes, you do see great value in it, and we've reached a pretty decent number towards that $5,000 goal, but we're not quite there yet. And so if you believe that this is a good opportunity for us to help serve you, if you have questions or you want to learn more, but if God's putting it on your heart to maybe help us do just that, I would encourage you today as you give in your offering to just write a little note either on the physical cards in front of you or when you give online in the memo spot that is specifically for practicing the way you're offering, that it would be above and beyond what you normally give to help us go and do something we don't normally get to do to serve you in a whole new and better way. Here in this place, when we give, you can come and give with cash or check if that's how you prefer and do so by placing it in the black box in the the back as you exit. If you filled out a physical Connect card with a way we can be praying with you this upcoming week, you can place that in the box as well. And if you're somebody who prefers to give online and would like to do so today, you can give at thepointknocks.com by clicking the little teal button in the bottom corner. However you give and whatever you give, know this. We don't give to get God's love because we already have it. Thank you. Well, every week we welcome your questions. We believe they're a helpful way to grow in faith. Some weeks, like last week, we're here for a long time answering questions. Uh, Adam, what questions came in today for me to respond to? Only one question this week, and the question is, what is this week's potluck and practices food theme? Is there a sign-up sheet? Thanks for keeping it easy this week. We're having tacos on Wednesday, and so if you like tacos and would like to learn more about things you can do in your daily life to spend more time with Jesus or learn how to become like Him and and do the types of things he did for others. Uh, If you would like to join us in that, we will have tacos at 6.30 on Wednesday. I think there's a sign-up form somewhere. Michelle has it 
back there by the coffee. And you can just sign up for whatever you bring, or you want to bring. Uh, you can see what other people have signed up for so you don't bring, you know, 12 dozen sour creams. That would make for some tasty tacos, I think. Yeah. Anything else? Sometimes we get them that come in last I minute. just refresh, no other questions. All right, thanks for being simple this week. I like that. Next week we'll give you the tough ones, okay? No, thank you. <laughs> well, as you go, receive this blessing. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May he make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. May he look upon you with favor and give you his peace. Amen. Have a good week. Thank you for listening to one of our Sunday morning messages. If this message has made an impact in your life, please let us know. Simply fill out the Contact Us page on thepointknox.com. And if you'd like to be a part of supporting The Point Ministry, simply go to thepointknox.com forward slash support. Don't hesitate to contact us or join us in person every Sunday morning at 1030 a.m. We pray this message has an impact in your life or at least makes it easy for you to connect with God where you are.